Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Happy Hump Day, everybody. Tom and Keith with you as we say greetings once again here on the front row. Exciting show ahead. We're going to talk video board in terms of the new mammoth, humongous, ginormous. I don't know what the term is, video screen that's a doke. We'll do that Just next Just remember, segment. Tom. Yes. Always remember, size matters. And there you go. We will uh, also talk with Tim Linnefelt. There's some really bad ways I could go right now, but I'm just going to trust the process and i'm going to keep plowing forward so the uh, the things we that'll could, take care of the result yes exactly we could <laughs> we could talk about the big acc debate that's going on right now although we have some time because the ad's tabled the discussion for about six weeks on do we want to play eight conference games and two power fives or nine plus one and the acc is really split down the middle uh, olympics is going on obviously the big news at fsu's camp is that everybody is really afraid we, we of, have a number one quarterback but everybody's really instead of celebrating that people have spent all their time losing sleep over who's the backup quarterback uh so where do you want to start let's start with the quarterback let's start with the quarterback quarterback always gets all the credit all the blame so we you and i don't get to have our personal debate because you were on record saying mcguire was going to be the starter i was on record saying francois was going to be the starter uh it's kind of a mulligan here since injury answered the question and let me clarify that was game one right i think both of us agreed by game eight it was probably going to be uh, Francois. So it's more of the process as opposed to the result. And uh, it's unfortunate for Sean. Uh, you, you Both of us got a chance to, to see him and, and say hello uh, during media day. Uh, he was uh, devastated, I think was the word that he used most often. Uh, but he is a remarkably resilient young man and a very confident young man. And I, I don't expect uh, there to be much of a change in his attitude uh, when he comes back uh, after that foot surgery. I think the other thing that we heard that maybe we didn't know about or because we're not there and see it every day uh, was both Randy and Jimbo talking about uh, how DeAndre is is a self-motivated person. And whether Sean is there breathing down his neck or whether he's breathing down Sean's neck, he still goes out every day and works very hard to get himself better, which is obviously what he's going to need to do to get ready for Ole Miss. Yeah, DeAndre comes across as a guy who doesn't uh, waste much time on things that uh, aren't important to the end goal. Clutter is not in his vocabulary. He's not sitting on the couch eating Doritos if he, while he's watching TV. If he could be standing in front of the TV, uh, you know, working on his mechanics or doing something, that's that's. I mean, he seems to be all business when you talk to him. Uh, and I think there is going to be a, a really good upside for him. And I, I mean, I think he's he was coached by Chris Winkie, his senior year in high school at IMG. He's got Jimbo now. He seems to be able to handle Jimbo's criticism. He's mobile. He's not the biggest guy. I mean, you're looking at 6'2", and Jimbo is his guys that have gone on. Well, Christian Ponder, who's, who's back in the NFL now, but hadn't had the career that he hoped to have, you know, probably a little undersized, quite frankly, for that next level, you know, whereas – you know, you look at a six four, six five kid. That that tends to be what Jimbo wants yep. more of, but that's not what Francois is. No, not at all. And I mean, he'll he'll carve his own niche. There was conversation. I know Jeff has has talked, uh, and Tom, you guys have talked about you know comparing him to Charlie, comparing him to Winston. I I don't know that he compares with anybody we've seen uh, so far. He's certainly not Winky. Uh, he he probably is more along the lines of quarterbacks that we had great uh, thought for, like Lee. Who, who really didn't get a lot of playing time. He, he probably falls into that mold somewhere of something we haven't seen. Uh, so that part will be exciting. Backup quarterback, uh, obviously that that is now of some concern. J.J.'s got some experience. I think they were hoping to, to uh, redshirt Malik. Uh, that may still be on the board. Uh, but certainly um, you're going to be a little bit uh, more – uh, paying attention to hard hits and awkward falls and uh, do you get down and who who gets you from the blind side I mean that just becomes a little more of a concern it does and that's why from a timeline standpoint with Sean you hope that he's at the four weeks or even a little shy of it and I don't know that he will be because then he potentially is in play if needed for Louisville if he can play on a broken ankle he probably can play with a screw in his foot. Right. But, but I'm just suggesting, you know, he's not going to be available for Ole Miss, and you're not going to need him week two. But you'd like to have him when you go on the road to open ACC play. Well, here's, just where, I'm, here's where I'm backup. disagreeing with you. I think he might be available for Ole Miss in an emergency situation. Maybe. 
Maybe. You mentioned redshirt with Malik, and I, I was thinking about this because there's uh, Malik. He needs to eat with me because he would gain weight. In oh, hurry, he needs to come know? to my house, and he'll be up there. You and re- I should invite. Wow, it's, it'd be an extra benefit, so we'd have to invite the whole team. But you know, he should just spend a weekend with us, and then he would gain several pounds. But no, the, so there's you know, is he ready? Is he not? I don't know. Is he more ready than Cosentino? That's for the coaches to figure out right now. But I don't know if there's merit in redshirting him because the way quarterbacks come and go nowadays, either Francois is going to win the job and be the guy long-term and Malik Henry is going to be gone in two years or Malik Henry is going to gain some weight and next year he's going to win the job and he's going to be looking at the NFL and he's going to be gone in three years. So I don't know well, what, I don't know. He's going to be gone. If he's any good, he's going to be gone in three years anyway. That's my point. So, so, so why? Because what if he isn't any good? What if he gets hurt? You know, Charlie Ward was a pretty daggum good quarterback coming into Florida State. He got redshirted and didn't play to his junior year as a redshirt. That mold while going away, and Jimbo addressed this during media day, he says part of the problem is we don't have kids staying the full four or five years. If they would stay the full four or five years and they're not Jameis Winston, they may end up being like Winston and going right into the NFL and starting in year one and not having to wait two or three years when they get to the NFL before right, they play. Right. There's some legitimacy to, to oh, preaching I that. To I agree kid. with what Jimbo's saying. I'm just looking at what's going on, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, I don't see him being a fifth-year senior at Florida State no matter how it unfolds. Well, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. If he doesn't gain any weight, he ain't going to play anywhere because somebody's going to break him in two. Right. And so that is more of the issue as it relates to this year right now, if you needed to turn to him. But, I mean, if you just look at the recent track record, I mean, Winston didn't stay five years. Coker didn't stay five years. Trickett didn't stay five years. John Franklin didn't stay five years. I mean, you're I, either playing I, or I you're not. I hear you. I hear you, but I ain't paying attention. Okay, so if the worst-case scenario happens since everybody's playing this game, well, before I ask you to play that out, how many teams right now in the country – feel good or fan bases feel pretty good about their third string quarterback because that really is the conversation we're having because mcguire's out and we're talking about if francois went out so if you went to clemson do they feel good about whoever number three is i don't miami? i don't know if they feel good about number two that, that, I, I know miami doesn't so feel bad about number two i understand why there's fret going on because one quarterback's already down but how many programs ohio state a couple years ago went to the third string quarterback and he was pretty doggone good agreed how many programs right now if you put the third string guy out there in a game on the line situation are going to feel great about what they've got your your point well made okay very few that said we're not talking about everybody else. We're talking about Florida State. One guy's already out of the mix. And so if that happened, do you go Cosentino, who hasn't shown signs? Do you go Henry? Do you go with the red, uh, not the red I, shirt, but the, uh, the walk-on? Oh, I go J.J., and I just throttle things down. And that's a game where Cook's going to get the ball about 35 times. Yeah. And I make it a one-game situation. The, the one thing you can say is that we can, we can go through this exercise and lose sleep over it, but the coaching staff will have a plan based on what the best pieces and parts are. And maybe maybe it's that Malik can run this plays. Thing. He can run this, and you give him a drive or two, and this is what you can get by with Cosentino. I mean, Who they'll knows? have a plan. No, for oh, they'll have a plan, no question. Jimbo, Jimbo never gets caught off guard. No, there's no question about it. But it has added some uh, intrigue to, to fall camp because outside of that – uh, you've got guys that are missing a day or two here and there, a couple days with hammies or muscle pulls or concussed. Thi- well, the concussed is a little more serious than that. Well, we have to go through the protocol. Is my point. They may not be concussed, but they still got to go through the protocol. But there hasn't been anything knock on so something far. that that significant. And all the reports are, no matter who you talk to, and I made it a point to do this on media day. Uh, I like to talk to different players and ask open ended questions, not not steer them. Uh, in other words, you know. I asked Demarcus Walker, who's, you know, who's flashing on the offensive line? I didn't steer him and say, Demarcus, is Rick Leonard flashing? I said, who's jumping out? And he answers Rick Leonard. Well, that tells you that, that Rick Leonard's playing pretty well. And I asked Rod Johnson that question, and he tells you Rick Leonard. You know, and then when uh, I was talking to Nate Andrews, this was before the open practice on Sunday, which he, he hurt his calf that day. But, uh, and ironically, I, I asked Nate about finally being healthy because last year he played with a club on his yep, hand. He had a yep. dislocated thumb, I think it was, all last year and then had that thing casted every week. But I asked him the same question, and he really I asked him about Levante Taylor, and he said he absolutely reminds me of LaMarcus Joyner. He said he's fearless, big heart. You know, and so you ask these guys what they think about him, and you get a truer, maybe a truer answer. Uh, so it was no, a I think he was he was high on the linebacker as Emmett Rice. Defense, is that the, Emmett, yeah. yeah, very this, high. On this him defense as well. is going to be special. It's going to really be special if they stay healthy. 
you got Nate back there. You got Trey back there. You know, you got that good uh, battle going at the other corner. Uh, Marquez is going to end up being an all star. He's he's upset because nobody's recognizing him. He'll play with that chip on his shoulder. Yeah. He'll, he'll get recognized at the end. Of the I, year. It may have been Nate, but somebody told me that Marquez is picking off about two passes every yeah. practice. So I mean, he's he's been very active. So it's exciting. Very. The, very. the, the kicking game is uh, still up for grabs a little bit. How many times would we call him Roberto instead of Ricky, do you think? What's the over and under on that? A lot. (laughs) That's going to happen a lot. Uh, What else at camp? Was there anything else at camp? That's all that came out to me. I mean, I I, I enjoyed listening to Trickett, uh, our once-a-year ability. Uh, I'm walking out of the tunnel after we were outside on the field for the team photo. He comes up behind me and grabs me and starts talking to me. Well, first of all, you got to remember, I'm scared of Rick Trickett. He frightens me. I I would never have been an offensive lineman at Florida State. I would have gone home. <laughs> and number, in the fetal position. Exactly. And number two, I haven't talked to Rick in two years. And he comes up just as affable and everything. And uh, he had a little health scare. Some folks will remember I was asking him about that. He said, oh, I'm fine. I had a little plaque. It went here, went there, went the other way. He says, and by the way, it's like, uh, it's like that old road he used to say. You know, for uh, I think he said Led Zeppelin or something. He said the the main must roadie for Led Zeppelin says this growing old is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> well, I mean, he's something to see. Quick anecdote, and then we'll go to break. And by the way, Jason Denner from FSU Athletics will join us next segment. We'll talk about uh, all the enhancements at the stadium. Uh, so I was at the open practice with my five year old son on uh, Sunday, and this was before everybody. The only people that were out were the specialists and the offensive line, and we were sitting about the forty. And Trickett had the offensive line and the goal line, and all of a sudden. You heard G D it and everybody where I was and it it came from the direction of a certain offensive line coach. Everybody where I was, was sitting then repeated it and said, Was that Trickett who just said that? So then of course my five year old was asking me to explain exactly what that meant. That meant you didn't block well. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I told him. Do do better. All right, we'll go to break. Come back to Jason Dennard right after this. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to The Front Row. Tom and Keith back with you. We'll get to our our Seminoles.com insider report coming up when Tim Linnefelt will join us. But uh, we will... Uh, head over to FSU right now as well because we're going to talk with a gentleman who had the uh, the privilege and pleasure. I don't know if he got it at Best Buy or if he went to Costco. I don't know where you get a screen quite the size as what's now in Doe Campbell Stadium. But Jason Dennard, who's an assistant athletics director for marketing at FSU, was right in the middle of that. So, J.D., thanks for joining us. Where do you go shopping for the big screen that's whatever those dimensions are? I got to tell you, it's a little overwhelming, but um, we did get it from China. It came over... On a boat, the whole saying of uh, slow boat from China, well, that's exactly how I got here. <laughs> what are we supposed to call this thing, J.D.? Have we got a, have we got a name for it yet? Uh, you know, unofficially, people are referring to it as the Jimbotron. You know, we, we're talking about it internally on what we want to name that thing. Um, we, we may turn it to the fans and let them uh, shoot us some ideas. And, and ultimately, I mean, you can't have something like that and not have a name for it. So what what are the specs? Because this is, you know everybody wants to brag that my screen is bigger than your screen. So what are the specs and how does this shape up uh, against what else is out there on the collegiate and the pro landscape for that matter? Yeah, I think so. It's important to probably note where we came from and where we are now. So the last game of the season last year, we all went in there and we looked at a board that was about 20 feet, 28 feet high and about a hundred feet long. And this year, when you walk in the stadium for the Charleston Southern game, it'll be 63 feet high and 120 feet long. So it's double in size. So kind of to put that into perspective, the square footage of that video board is going to be around 6,800 square feet, which is double the size of my house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not only that, uh, they'll be able to visually uh, appreciate it, but uh, maybe hasn't been talked about a lot is there's a brand new sound system associated with that as well. And, And what little bit I've heard about the testing is unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing how, how, you know, you kind of look at what you had and where we are now, you know, true testament to how good this thing is. I get a call the first day we, we uh, fired that thing up from um, one of the 
football managers that says, hey, we're out here at practice on the practice field. you got to turn that thing down. We can't even hear the coaches out here. So it's, you know, no matter where you sit in Doe Campbell, you should be able to get the same experience um, sound-wise. And, I mean, it's going to be nice, and it's going to give us the ability to communicate to the fans better. It's going to help set the atmosphere a little bit better just because, you know, you'll be able to hear the words to the music for the first time. And uh, so it should be a good thing for all. And for, yeah. those, for those that are keeping track, you can honestly say that we're number one in the sound category. It is the most powerful sound system in an outdoor arena in the U.S., as I've been told. The funny thing is, true story, last year I get a phone call after a football game from someone that lives in Myers Park that asked me to turn the stadium sound system down, and that was with the old one. So we might be able to get picked up all the way to Monticello now. Well, just blame that on the amphitheater at Cascades Park, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, so, so how you know, Keith says is the number one sound system. I'm going to pin you down on this. In terms of the video board size, I know Auburn got a ton of publicity last year when they put one in. Where, where does this rank? Do you know? And I know over in, in Jacksonville, the Jags have a tremendous screen, too, and there's others. So we're somewhere in the college football realm. We're somewhere around number three with what we have. But I will tell you, the bragging point is it will be the tallest one in college football. And, and, t- and once we put the one in in the south end zone, we will have the most video screen display area of any in the in college football. So, so what what is going to go in in the south end zone and the time frame on that? That's a good question. So we have another one coming in right after the Florida game. We'll we'll break ground on getting that up there. We really were pushing hard to try to get it in for this year, but it's really hard to add a construction site on top of another construction site. Um, so that's that was the cause of why we're going to have to wait a year to do that. But we've already purchased it, and the board that will go in the south end zone will be larger than the one we used to have in the north end zone. So it's going to be a – I mean, if, if you – you know, I know a lot of people haven't had a chance to come into the stadium yet to see what's going on, but i got to tell you, it is amazing what this stadium looks like from last year to, to now. It's, it's incredible. I think the biggest thing about all of it, uh, J.D., is, is how that, that – end zone looks like it's 20 or 30 or 40 feet closer to the field which technically it is and how it makes that entire end zone just that much taller even though it didn't gain any height perception wise it just appears much bigger i i agree with you and from everything that we've been told that's going to keep the sound in the bowl a little better and i gotta tell you if i was a recruit and i was walking into that stadium and i saw what i saw I would be I would I would be looking for the pen immediately just to go ahead and ink my name for Florida State because I have, I've been in a lot of stadiums and I don't know that I've ever seen one that looks like what we have. Yeah, it is tremendous. And uh, to clarify, who those for those who don't know, and I think people listening to the show probably do, but the construction project on top of a construction project would be installing the the video board in the south end zone while the Champions Club is being finished. And we're going to have Jerry Kutz on next week, and we'll get into the Champions Club. Uh, a little bit more in detail in terms of what that offers and where they are in that process. But going back to to more of your specialty, uh, there's new ribbon boards too, uh, and there's also been some other enhancements to, I think, every restroom in the stadium. So what other things that are part of the fan experience have been enhanced or improved uh, at Doe Campbell? Yeah, we've added dedicated places in the stadium to where you you can always look and find the down-distance score, game clock, 100% 100% of the time. So you'll never have to look anywhere else and, and look for it. It'll always reside in the north end zone and the south end zone in the same place. I just actually walked out and looked at practice, and they're, they're actually practicing it with it for the first time. So um, that that's going to be a nice enhancement for the fans. Um, you mentioned we did add additional LED in the stadium, and so there's over a 1,000 feet of LED space to do anything from sending out messages, scores, um, you know, everything that you could possibly think of that'll be there. And then you mentioned also, yes, we did spend a significant amount of time trying to upgrade the the restroom facilities in the stadium as well. I I know the ladies out there will really appreciate that. Um, You know, it's, it, we could easily double the amount of money that we spent on it, but um, it's, it's worth it. You know, we want to make sure that when people come here, they have a good experience and, um, you know, there's more things uh, that we're looking into down the road, but right now, better bathrooms, better um, in-stadium experience, and, you know, hopefully we'll have a lot of 
people come out on the first day uh, against Charleston Southern and check it all out. Well, toward the end part of the season, they're going to have an opportunity to come back to Campbell. Uh, we've got a Friday night game. I, I forgot to look up last time a Friday night game was played, but it's been a long. It was in the 50s, I it's think. It's been a yeah, long JD, time. JD might know, yeah. Uh, uh, against uh, Boston College, I think it is. But then the following day, Saturday, uh, JD, we're going back to the late 70s, brother. We're going back to the late 70s. Little River Band in Dope Campbell Stadium during KJ's time. You're bringing back some uh, some concert in Dope Campbell Stadium. Thankfully, he's not bringing back the Little River Band. <laughs> well, they're still on tour. They're good. Yeah, but they're not going to be a Doke that day. They will not be a Doke. If they are, they're buying a ticket. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, when we announced the Friday night game, it gave us an opportunity to really try to do something different. So, we, you know, that's where we came up with the idea of doing this concert. And with the Champions Club being built in the way it is, it really makes itself really nice for an amphitheater-type setup. So what we're going to do is that day we got three acts coming in here and we're going to flip the stadium starting at literally midnight after Boston College and, and get it ready for the concert the next day. And it's, you know, generate a, a nice little buzz around here, it's doing things a little different, um, kind of following the pattern of we started the Friday night uh, block party about six years ago, and this is kind of taking it up a notch to the next level. And, uh, you know, we've on we've been on sale for about a week, and we've, we've sold over a 1,000 tickets so far, and, you know, we've had some good – energy around it so looking forward to, to doing this for the first time in over 30 years now you know a, a saturday night concert uh people tend to like their libations like you get at the civic center is there is there going to be such uh served at that concert tom are you asking for a friend i'm asking for keith yeah he's sitting <laughs> there right next to me so yeah that's a great question we've gotten that a lot so far and i would the way i'd answer that is you know if you go to the Civic Center, you can expect to get it. So if you come for a concert in Doe Campbell, you can also expect to get it. Good news for I you. I like Keith. what I hear. Good news. I like what I hear. You know, I was going to toot your horn, but you, you already mentioned that, uh, you know, you put together the Friday night block party. But I will give you more credit than that because you're the one who goes out and books the acts that come in on that Friday night block party. And though I am not a country music aficionado, uh, you obviously have hit a lot of home runs there with, with a lot of the acts that uh, you've caught just before they've really gone big time. So congratulations there. Uh, is you know who who's uh, on the menu this year, so to speak, and are there any changes to what the Friday nights will look like uh, on game weekends this year? So the good thing about having only – we only really have five opportunities to do it this year, so we were able to really hone in on some – some good entertainers and i would tell you we're gonna have this will probably be or go down as one of the best lineups we've ever had which is saying something considering the people that have come through here but as i look at it in current day time the person that has the number one song in the country right now will be playing for us on october 14th uh, when we um, have the wake forest weekend and then the the act that has the number one album in america right right now will be playing the florida weekend for us so it's a stellar lineup, and uh, we're looking forward to entertaining people and giving people more reasons to come and celebrate Florida State football with us. J.D., let's uh, talk about uh, the, the opener, which is not a home game, but it's uh, it's obviously in Orlando. And I know Florida State told, sold a, a boatload of tickets for that. So what should we expect when we, you know, when we look around, whether you're in attendance or you're watching on TV, how garnet and gold is the Citrus Bowl? Uh, excuse me, is it the Camping, Camping World, World. World. Camping yeah. World Bowl going to be on Labor Day night? Well, I can tell you this much. The, the capacity for that stadium is about a little over 60,000. And when we first got that deal done with, with um, the Citrus Bowl at the time, we were tasked with selling 32,000 tickets, and I can tell you we did our part. We sold all 32,000 of them, and then if they could have given us more, we would have taken them. We turned our fans over to start buying Ole Miss's tickets, and uh, we helped them sell out their allotment. And uh, I think if, if if you like the garnet and gold and you like the way it looks, you're going to be in good company uh, at the kickoff game. And and not necessarily an invited guest. Uh, he is expected, and, and uh, both are expected, but uh, I hear a, a mascot and a rider will also be joining us in Orlando. Yeah, we worked it out where we – that was one of our requests and uh, to get Osceola and Renegade down there. And, you know, the great thing about having the spring game down there was we got a dress rehearsal on all fronts. So they were there then, and they're going to be there for the kickoff game. And, and I will tell you, you know, it is artificial turf, but he will plant the spear. And uh, where there's a will, there's a way, and we're going to make it happen. Well, it is uh, exciting to know that we're less than three weeks away now. J.D., anything else you want to add that fans should be aware of? Uh, I know information will be coming in uh, in coming days and certainly before the first home game regarding traffic flow. Clear bag policy. I guess we should talk about that. You yeah. want to set the record straight on that real quick? Yeah, you know, in the world we live in nowadays, you have to kind of really keep 
everything in perspective. And, you know, we want to make sure that when people come here, number one, they can get into the stadium in a more orderly fashion. But, you know, we also are tasked with making sure everybody is safe. So we did implement the, the clear bag policy that will go into effect um, for the first home game this year. And, um, it's you know, we think it's going to be a good thing. It's going to help people get into the building faster. And it's also going to help us keep people safe. And, uh, you know, when we go on the road for the kickoff game, it's same principle there, clear bag policy there. When we play at USF, clear bag policy. When we go to the new Seminole Hard Rock Stadium down to play Miami, uh, clear bag policy down there as well. So it's it's the norm in the business now. KJ, did you notice how he subtly added Seminole in front of Hard Rock there? <laughs> I did. That, that announcement just came yesterday. I, I still and, call that place Joe Robbie. That's how old I am, though. <laughs> I worked at Joe Robbie the very first year it opened, which was 1987. I was an usher. That was the strike year in the NFL. So wow. I got to see some scab players. Hey, JD, thank you uh, for the insight. I, I can't. You get this too from people you talk to, and you see it on social media. But there is uh, palpable excitement about the changes and improvements to Doak Campbell, and uh, that's a tip of the cap to you and the athletics department, and also Seminole Boosters. Very for much what's so. Going on very there. much so. Yeah, we appreciate it. It's open invitation for everybody to join us on September 9th. We look forward to it. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, 63 feet by 120 feet. You know, I failed to ask him what happened to the old video board, by the way, because we might have been able to put well, that out in my backyard. one of them went to backyard. FAMU, didn't it? Yeah, that was the one from the south end one zone. But the FAMU. one from the north end zone, still missing. It was Is it with the back. Spirit Spear somewhere in Oklahoma, maybe? I, I don't know. Well, maybe Tim Linefeld, our Seminoles.com we'll uh, insider, can answer that question. We'll get to Tim when we come back. Stay with us on the front row. <laughs> Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. the front row time now to uh, move our conversation from the uh, the fan experience in terms of the big screen and the ribbon boards and all the enhancements to the stadium to the uh, between the line stuff on the field for that we uh call on our seminoles.com insider tim linefelt and full disclosure as we uh, rec- talk with tim we're recording this conversation at uh, the fsu football scrimmage is going on so uh, should something happen in said scrimmage that we don't react to, that is why. That said, Tim, uh, we can talk about everything that's happened uh, between the lines up until today anyway. And uh, the big storyline has been the quarterback. Keith and I talked about that a little bit. But what's your thoughts on, on DeAndre now that we know he's going to be the guy going in against Ole Miss? Well, it's definitely different uh, in that, you know, you've always kind of wondered every last couple of years when Florida State's had a quarterback competition, the the argument, I guess, has been, keep the competition going as long as possible to breed that competition or name a starter early on so that you know he's the guy, he gets all the first-team reps, the team knows who they're going to be lining up behind. And, and Jimbo Fisher typically has always kept the, com- the competition going as long as possible. This time, uh, we're going the other way. Everybody knows that for all intents and purposes, I think DeAndre Francois is going to be the starter. Jimbo Fisher hasn't named him the starter explicitly yet, but everybody knows he's taken all the first-team reps and Talking to both Jimbo Fisher and Randy Sanders, the quarterbacks coach, he said, "Look, it's it's not a competition uh, the way that it was. You know, DeAndre is going to be the guy, barring something really strange and unforeseen. So it's kind of interesting to see how that dynamic shakes out. He's going to be the first team guy getting all those reps uh, in practice for the next few weeks, and, and even you know we saw in the open practice, he'll get some second and third team reps too. So they obviously want to get him as much of work as possible, get him comfortable because at the end of the day, like, he still is only a redshirt freshman." We're not talking about a guy with a lot of experience, so they're going to have to try to build him up as much as possible between now and Labor Day. So that begs the next most important question, Tim. Who's number two? That's, I think, another thing that they're going to have to figure out. Uh, look, you know, J.J. Cosentino is the most experienced, I think, as of right now. Today, he's probably the number two. He's still working with the twos in practice, but that definitely seems like there's an opportunity there for somebody to step up. And it's a question of what, you know, the staff has to decide, what do you want to do with Malik Henry? I think in an ideal world, uh, they would be able to register him, get some separation between him and DeAndre Francois as far as, as, far as their scholarship uh, and their eligibility limits are concerned. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the question comes up, if, if something we were talking about this the practice today, if, if DeAndre Francois were to go down on the, the second or third play of the Ole Miss game, you know, where do you turn? I think at that point it probably has to be J.J. Cosentino just because he's more experienced. So I, I think he's probably the front runner right now, but, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that dynamic – 
you know, if we're to change, especially if Malik were to be really impressive over the next few weeks, and then it would just be a situation of it kind of depends on the game situation. You know, where where are they? What's the score? What's the you know uh, where are they in terms of the game? What do they need to have happen from their quarterback? I, I really think they might not go in with a clear cut number two. It might just be sort of situational. Am I an idiot to believe that if he can play on a broken ankle, that McGuire could play with a screw in his foot? I think he, he could. It's a matter of one, you know, it's pain tolerance. I know he said uh, earlier this week that if the pain was unbearable, and, and for a guy who we know is tough, has already played on a broken ankle, uh, you know, to say that, then it must really must really be bad. And then it's a matter, you know, will he will he make it worse? Uh, will he re-injure or, or anything like that that would cause further harm? So, but, you know, like I said, it's, uh, the, the short timetable for that is about a month, and, you know, we're a little less than a month away from the game there. But if he, if he heals quickly and he's a tough kid, you know, maybe he could be, uh, could be available. But you're also talking about a guy who would be there without having practiced in all, almost a month, too. So that comes with some complications as well. But, no, I don't think you're an idiot, at least not for that. I was glad, I was <laughs> at least glad not that for he that. Thank more you. words. He, he sort of paused right after the am I an idiot. I thought we were going to jump in and answer that, so thankfully you added more. Let me ask you this. Jimbo likes his guys to know the whole offense. In other words, he's not one that wants to dumb it down. But it strikes me that this is a year, uh, maybe not with DeAndre, who seems to have a pretty good grasp of the playbook. If you ask him, he, he says he knows the whole thing. But then when you look at the number two situation, it seems to me you may have to simplify things almost against his, his instinct and his want. Would you agree with that? I think you have to. And, and look, you know, like you said, Jimbo has sort of that reputation for you know running his offense no matter who uh, who was behind the – excuse me, who was under center. But I do think he tailors things to different skill sets as much as he can, and he wants to, to maximize what guys are able to do. And, and, look, the fact of the matter is, you know, if you're in a situation where a Malik Henry were to have to play early on in the season, you just wouldn't be able to use the, the whole playbook. It just wouldn't be possible, not with a true freshman that early uh, in his career. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you would see some changes just – Due to you know the practical nature of things, you wouldn't be able to have that whole playbook, and you wouldn't even be bumping your head against the wall because there wouldn't even be a wall. Subject to what happens during the scrimmage, as as we're taping here today, uh, injuries, uh, a few bumps and bruises, but nothing of extreme significance, and uh, and a very cautious approach by the medical staff, uh, at least in the early going. Yeah, and why not? Especially with some of the veteran guys. I know Alec Everly was held out yesterday. Uh, Josh Sweat as well. Jimbo said they both had concussion symptoms. Uh, you know, early in camp, uh, you'd like to have everybody a full house, but the, you know, something you really worry about, the knees and ankles and ligaments and all that, it seems like they've been able to avoid those so far. Nooney Murray is a guy who has apparently stood out every day at practice. He certainly did in the open practice. Uh, I get the sense, while he's not the bigger receiver that folks are clamoring for, that we're going to see more of Murray, I guess, at the expense of either Kermit or Bobo. How do you think that falls? It would have to be one of those two, I think. And, yeah, we were talking about it during the scrimmage and watching him, and I said, I, I think he looks good, and I think he has a part to play, but who's he going to play for? And you're talking about bringing in a, a sophomore who, with limited experience, his most experience came against Chattanooga last year. Is he really going to unseat two seniors, both of whom have played pretty well at, at times throughout their careers? Is he, is he really going to unseat those guys going into the season? Uh, can he block the way that, that they're expected to block? Does he know the playbook? The way they're expecting to know the playbook, I, he obviously has the ability. I, it's hard to say on that other stuff because he haven't been able to see enough so far. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about Nooney. I, again, I think he has a, a lot of talent. He clearly was a tough cover for just about everybody in Florida State secondary. I just I don't know right now where he's going to go if, if he does. I think the answer to that question is proportional, directly proportional to the amount of personal coaching that Kermit gets from Jimbo. <laughs> which right now he's getting way too much personal coaching from Jimbo. Uh, yeah, and especially like you said, for, for a, or we said for a senior, you know, you know, you kind of kind of wonder about that. But it's also, you know, we get to basically see, really see one practice a year, and it's easy to kind of, I don't know if overreact is the word, but, but think that one practice is indicative of every practice. And, like, there's not a lot of guys on the team that can do what Kermit can do in terms of speed and elusiveness. So, yeah, I think you know he had kind of an up and down day on that day, but you know we still know what he's capable of a lot more than some of the other guys that they have available. I think one of the other things, particularly with receivers, because of the number of bodies they've got, is there's going to be some surprises from the standpoint that Florida State doesn't publicize their injuries and who's held out of practice, and everybody looking at the spring game and what what Tate was able to do. We're, you know, there was asking Jimbo during media day, "How's he coming along?" Well, he ain't been there in two days. 
He's been held right. out. And and so there's going to be some of these receivers that we're not going to see rise to the top because they're not on the field, and that doesn't necessarily get talked about all the time. Right, and you know, Auden Tate's a guy that everybody had really high hopes for and expectations for after that spring game. But the same thing for, for Travis Rudolph. He's been out the last couple of days, and he's expected to be pretty much by far the team's number one receiving target. So it might even be a couple of weeks when you get those guys back in the mix, Rudolph and Tate especially, and get those guys in the fold, and that's when you can really evaluate. Because without, without Rudolph especially, it's kind of hard to know what your receiver hierarchy is going to be. All right, the rapid-fire portion of our program here, Tim. We'll put you on the spot on August 17th, I think it is, two and a half weeks from the opener. The starting punter will be? Logan Tyler. The starting place kicker will be? Logan Tyler. All distances? We'll see. Can I answer that next week? (laughs) All right, we'll give you a pass on that. Starting right tackle? Rick Leonard. Starting right guard? Wilson Bell. Wilson Bell. I'm in the minority on that. Okay, the corner opposite Marquez White? I don't know that one yet. I would lean toward Marcus Lewis. Keith, any positions I'm leaving out here that are for No, I just remind our listeners that the the way things are going to work out this year, especially especially because of Trey Marshall, star is your base. So you're going to play five defensive backs and two linebackers the vast majority of the time. I want to go back to that place kicker thing real quick, and then we'll let you get going. Uh, What you just said is a little interesting because most folks that I've talked to think Aguayo will handle – shorter distances 40 or 45 yards and in and tyler would be your 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 longer field goal kicker but you think it's him all the way well i you know i offer that with the caveat of i don't know that i'm especially dogmatic about it um but i really like logan I mean, he needs to straighten some things out you know both kickers i think early on have had a little bit of issues uh, with their accuracy if you see the way the the ball comes off his foot distance wise uh i think logan is a stronger kicker right now and i just i just wonder if if they're going to want to do that, you know, I think they'd much rather have one kicker to handle everything and potentially be able to redshirt the other uh, and not have to have two spots go to the, the kickers, especially for, for multiple distance, which just, given what we know about Jimbo Fisher, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that he would want to do. So uh, there's a lot of camp left to, you know, to sort things out. But as of right now, I, my thought is that it'll be Logan Tyler. But again, it's, it's, I don't think anything will be written in stone at that position, uh, even into the season, if one of them struggles and they feel like they have to go to the other one. Uh, I don't think they'll hesitate to do that. Who's returning punts and kickoffs? Right now it's Bobo Wilson, but I would keep an eye out on Levante Taylor. He's a guy that he, I've had three or four different people say the words Greg Reed to me, reminiscent of Greg Reed, just with the ball in his hands, kind of the way that he runs with that sort of you know, that natural fluid motion that I don't know that we've seen somebody uh, other than Greg run with since he was here. So I think he'll start with Bobo Wilson. He's a steady senior, can catch the ball, has been able to catch the ball, and I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, especially early on in the season, late in the game, Levante Taylor got some some burn back there and maybe was able to take control of it. Well, Nooney Murray's been in that mix, too, and he's got a little uh, elusiveness to him. Yeah, and that could be a, a solution to that question we were asking earlier. Where exactly do you put him? That's, that's an option for sure. Last question, who's going to kick off? Uh, Logan Tyler, I think. I, if you watch him, his leg is really, really impressive. Uh, and I think anything distance-related, punting and kickoff, I think he's a guy. All right, he is our Seminoles.com insider for a reason. Tim Linnefelt, we recorded all that, and we will play it back uh, after opening night to see just how good you were. <laughs> there you go. I like the sound of that. All right, thank you so much. Uh, anything you disagree with on that front? Nope, nope. Uh, I, I think people will be a little bit shocked to understand that Aguayo, because he came in with so much hype that's directly related to his brother, may have potentially gotten beat out, but it, it's it's more of along the lines that he needs some additional seasoning is what I'm told, uh, as opposed to he hasn't been good. Uh, and it's also a testament to Logan. He, he's pretty darn good. You know, Roberto, didn't he gray shirt? Wasn't he here mm-hmm. gray shirting Hopkins last year? So he was a year removed to fine-tune things a little bit. He was uh, a year older than his class. The other thing that would help or go a long way towards longer field goals is and FSU has to do this regardless, if you're better in short yardage, then when you're at the 36-yard line and it's fourth and one or two, you go for it instead of kicking a field goal with that defense you have, and that could turn things pretty significantly too. And that that may affect six, eight attempts over a 12-15 game season. Yeah, exactly right. All right, and and how many of those 12 or 15 games are going to be ACC conference games? That is still up for debate. Well, well, we we know, talk about that. We know the answer for this year. Eight. But at some point, the number may change. In, uh, well, it's going to 20. In basketball. Oh, wrong sport. Right. Sorry. We'll, we will talk about this debate, which uh, really, it's it's a dead heat. Half favor one, half favor the other. We'll explain when we come back on the front row. six. 
listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Thank you, as always, to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lenefeld. Also, a big thanks to the folks at Madison Social. You know the drill. Florida State still unbeaten in the uh, Madso era, which is a good thing. And uh, Madison Social, I think, just turning three. So happy birthday there. But they, they have teamed up. They have they, they are spreading their wings, in, uh, literally, yes. And they, they are opening up uh, Centrale Italian. We told you about it last week. It'll open Italian. Italian, early to, uh, to mid-September. The, uh, the motto, pretty simple. I like the sound of it. Crazy good food, approachable wines by tap, glass, or bottle, and a table of friends to share it with. So there you have it. Uh, you can find out more at centraleitalian.com. Mine's usually by the bottle. All right. If anybody asks. The mini or the full size? What do you think? <laughs> All right. Before we get into this conference conversation, is there anything else we need to clean up, put a bow on from the earlier conversation here? Are you good on the quarterback? overlooked. I'm just asking. Are we good on the quarterback? We've had the quarterback conversation. Yes. Uh, we, do we want to get back to the conversation about if Dalvin Cook rushes for 2,000 yards, Florida State loses four games? I don't agree with that. I do agree with the fact that his touches will be down. I agree. He, he's good enough, and they could play enough games that he could still get 2,000 yards. But you're pre- I understand the premise there. Uh, so anything else? We agree with Tim. He's our Seminoles.com insider. Yeah. I like Rick at the left, uh, at the right tackle. I like what do you the, think? Like Wilson, Wilson, Wilson Bell versus I think Cole Bell. Minshew. You think I think Bell? Bell. And, but, but part, I think part of that being that he's experienced, and, and if you're putting Leonard next to him as a guy who hasn't been out there. Leonard's got somebody he can rely on. Yeah. Yeah, I, the interesting thing we didn't talk about this part of the quarterback thing, but Jimbo brought has brought out a couple times lately that being a young quarterback or inexperienced quarterback, part of what's hard about it is that you have to clean up everybody else's mistakes, and that's when you really find out what's going. That's when you're really thrown into the fire. So that's what's good about Florida State returning a lot of key guys. You would hope that experienced receivers would be running the right routes. Experienced offensive line, for the most part, would have the right assignments, that sort of thing. And one other thing about uh, Francois that that we were told that you wouldn't think of a redshirt freshman as being, and that is he's correcting some of the upperclassmen who are doing mistakes. Now, that means he still has to cover for them, which is your point. If they're making mistakes, then the quarterback's got to cover for them. But that quarterback is also telling them, what they should be doing differently or correctly, i.e. He, he knows where they're supposed to be even if they're not there. Jimbo calls it the eraser. The eraser. Which is kind of a good nickname, mm-hmm. although if your quarterback has to erase that much, that means there's a lot of folks that aren't doing their right. I, all right I remember from grade school was when I did a bunch of erasing, what did you do to the paper? Rip you it. ripped it. Yeah. Yeah, nobody that's, that's half our age can relate to that at all at this point, Keith. Especially half your age. Anyway. Thank you very much. Let's get to this ACC thing. Here's the debate if you haven't been following it. So the ACC network is coming in a couple of years. ESPN wants more inventory. More quality inventory. It's an obvious, yes, more quality inventory. Rather than having uh, FSU versus Charleston Southern. Duke versus James Madison. They would rather have FSU versus Virginia Tech or FSU or versus Vanderbilt. Right. Power five matchups. So what's been on the table, and this is not ACC toying around with it this is basically espn saying here's your options you can stay at eight conference games but everybody in the league has to play two power five non-conference teams and it has been explained to me that you could actually count an out of uh, an acc opponent in that mix it wouldn't count towards the standings but and it so, would not be a conference so, game is what so fsu could play georgia tech and that would meet that threshold of eight plus two it's sort of been reported erroneously at times it doesn't have to be another conference uh, the other option is to move to nine conference games and just play one Power Five out of conference. And the the schools are absolutely deadlocked. They were eight six previously on this. Uh, as best we can tell, they held a vote last week and it was seven seven, which is why they tabled it until their October meetings. The four that are want eight two vehemently: FSU, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Louisville, because they all have an SEC rival already, so they don't have to worry about scheduling one of the two Power Fives. Uh, so it's an interesting debate. Uh, from a Florida State standpoint, <clears throat> I prefer the eight and the two model. It allows them to continue to do what they've been doing, like playing these neutral site games. You continue playing Florida. Uh, I think when you look at Florida State's heritage and how it came up, independent all the way until 92 season, not just independent, but playing anywhere, anytime, that's part of what Florida State's history is. 
when you look at the way the vote split, there's a lot of ACC schools that have been in the ACC since 1953. It means something to have a conference rival, which really is not something Florida State can relate to, save for Clemson the last few years. Or what Miami should be. Or what my, But Miami's a rivalry whether there's a joint league or not. So it's just an interesting debate. Uh, I, what I don't want to see is, or what I fear for FSU is, if you go to nine conference games, nine plus one, well, Florida State has that in Florida every year. Then does FSU pull back from playing another Boise, like an Ole Miss, opening up with Alabama? Right, because if you do, the schedule's not as intriguing. But I understand why you would, because the schedule can be overwhelming if you do. But you're also losing dollars at that point. Yes, you're getting say five million a school for the ACC network for this more inventory. But FSU's losing a couple million by not playing a neutral site game. So that's that's a revenue loss for FSU, unless they continue to schedule up and play those neutral site games, which means. In some years, you'd have one gimme and 11 legitimate opponents. The two uh, bigger picture rationales for the 9 plus 1 is that most of the other conferences are moving to that. And so everybody's playing a championship game. Everybody's playing nine conference games. So you have you have uh, the same thing in every conference. The other, my personal reason for wanting the, the nine games is so that you don't play Georgia Tech every 12 years. And the way the schedule is set up now, there's going to be one or two teams that you don't play but once a decade, and they're in your conference. If you go to the ninth game, then you will play those teams more frequently. Yeah, currently you play them once every six years, but only once every 12 years in your state. In your state, okay. If, if you added the ninth game, you would play them once every three years and once every six years in your stadium. And so I think that has a, a big merit as well. Now, having said that, I can support the 8 plus 2, but I want one caveat. I still think, and you've heard me say this before, I still think the ACC and the SEC well, to should me, assist in scheduling those games. And, and see, this is where I don't buy the ADs that are saying we want 9 plus 1 because it's impossible to schedule games. I know it's hard to get opponents, but first of all, everybody else in your conference, and there's 13 other teams other than you, not counting Notre Dame, would need a game. So you can schedule one. So don't tell me it's hard to do. You can get on the phone. You can you can cut the whole deal. Which is the playing but, a conference opponent, but it not counting against the And conference. I'm not saying it's an ideal solution. But, but it is a solution. It is a solution. It's very easy. You could do it at the meetings before cocktails, and everybody could say, you know what, for these two years, FSU's playing Georgia Tech, and Clemson's playing this team, and this team, and then you're boom, you filled it in. So that is a solution. But ESPN runs the SEC network. Now, they don't own all the SEC inventory because CBS gets some games but they only get one or two a week. And the reality is, if you paired up SEC versus ACC, CBS is not going to come in and pluck Vanderbilt versus Wake Forest and say they want to make that their main game. So the inventory is going to go to ESPN anyway. Bottom line, ESPN could drive this. Joe Oliva, the LSU AD, is on record within the last week or two saying he expects the SEC is going to be pushed for nine games the next couple years. You could fix this problem right now if you're ESPN by forcing the SEC and the ACC to each play head-to-head one game. And it would be the middle ground on this. And you know how you fix it even better and easier? You appoint a commissioner for the Big Five, and he handles scheduling. Well, and, and we've seen of late that we could use a commissioner for some of these. And, and, like the and, for the record, and for the record, Jimbo believes we should have a commissioner. Yeah, I, I tend to also because I'm not a fan of different rules across leagues, which Jimbo talked about last week, and we don't have time to get into that now, so I'm going to zip it. But that is a topic for another day, Tom. Add that one to the list. We'll come back and wrap up the front row right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple more minutes. I want to go back to uh, where we started. Uh, well, not all the way back to where we started, but where we started this show, sort of. Talking about this video screen 6,800 square feet. 63 feet by 120 feet. First of all, J.D.'s got a bigger house than I do. <laughs> it's only twice as big as his house. It's about six, about 3.2 times bigger in my house. Uh, I think it's neat, though, and it's interesting talking about the competitive nature of things, how Florida State's touting its height. You know, it's the tallest video board. 
Uh, but again, I go back and, and I, I'm the one that brought it up with JD. The sound system, I think, is what's really going to catch people's attention uh, as much as the video. It is it is truly, truly an interesting and, and, and very, very good system. And if you've driven down Pensacola Street towards the stadium, they've added some murals to the outside because it towers over the athletic right. center there. My understanding on that, and I don't, I'm not suggesting they're anywhere down the line on this, but I think that is that that the Moore Center is structured so that they can build up, i.e., add a floor or two in and around that new video board, which, if that ever comes to fruition, would not the, the video board wouldn't stand out so much from outside, which it clearly does now because it's a marked change. So, well, I know from the other side, uh, the way the the elevator towers are and the way the unconquered statue is. I mean, that's a that's a. a totally changed backdrop there'll be a, thousands of people uh you know wanting new photographs of, of uh langford green and how that how it works uh, up to the unconquered statue and then those two elevator towers it's 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 truly good looking from the inside and the outside if that makes sense yeah and and i have not been through it i gotta i gotta talk to uh, jerry kutz and get myself a tour over there jerry's going to join us next week on the show your own personal hard hat and what we'll, exactly my own personal i there's times i've I probably that would have been a good thing for me to have through several points did in my you, life did you ride the short bus in school or i did not ride the short okay, bus no thank you for checking though uh but jerry's going to join us next week we'll talk more about the champions club and, and some of those uh stadium and Hanson. but it, if, if you've not been in it I know you've you've read about it, you've heard about it. Uh, if you follow Florida State, you know what's coming. But it it is a dramatic difference, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Hearing it's, about it's it, going to look really cool for a night game because there's going to be so much more light added now between the size of the big screen, all the extra LED. They've got garnet and gold lights that are a little spirit spear esque that are part of the Champions Club spears that plus will light the, up. The covering also can be illuminated. Uh, in in one sense. I'm a little disappointed that the the the, the first home game is a day game because you'd like to get the whole experience at night. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's a reason to come to to the first home game and a reason to come to the second home game because hopefully the second one will be in the evening. There you go. He is Keith. I am Tom, and we will be back next week, Lord willing. And Creek we'll do don't a, rise. We'll do another show. Yeah, man.